Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Metad, a podcast. I'm Paul. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Glenn. This is your first time joining us or not. We are Meta Podcast. Meta analysis of everything. Video games. And not video games. But mostly video games. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually returning to form this this week with an episode about one specific video game. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because last time we did the uh, the tabletop one. That wasn't video games at all. Yeah, no, but you, but you recently did your first DM session, right? I did. How'd that go? It was a half sesh, but it was pretty good. I uh, Everybody met their characters in a tavern and <laughs> learn some valuable quest knowledge for later. Nice. Mm-hmm. How do you define yes. a half session? I feel like a session is a session. It was like we met up and finished creating characters and then ate dinner and then everyone's like, we want to role play. And I was like, I haven't written the campaign, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> So just that's like ninety percent of of being a DM is just like uh, forgetting to write your story. <laughs> so I was like, here's the ideas I've been playing around with. So I'm gonna start the campaign early with no preparation, in classic Paul DM style. And I was like, please, no one leave the tavern because I have not written any encounters. <laughs> It's like you're trying to be creative, too. You're like, you show up, and uh, you're all in a tavern. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have guessed? Who would have (laughs) known? Well, see, they're all, like, most of them are, like, not, have not played D&D before. Right. So I'm like, they got to get the, like, classic experience. Yeah, like, the cliche, you know, like, everyone can relate to. High fantasy. Everyone can relate to a, a DM, or, like, a tabletop experience of starting in a tavern exactly i was actually uh so i started reading game of thrones and i was again and i this week and i had just finished a series called the magician by raymond feist and they start their book with like this ceremony called the like it's like the choosing or something like that where basically like when you become 12 years old you're chosen for your profession and if you choose not to do that profession you're like kind of exiled i guess like you just become like a not a put pariah. to death. You're just like not. You don't have a trade, and that's okay. not good. Um, but I thought that'd be like another cool way to like start a campaign. I thought of that today. I was like, oh man, I want. I can't wait to my next campaign where like I can have this as my thing. And then I was like, who the fuck am I gonna play D? <laughs> I don't have I anybody wonder, to play D and D with. I wonder how many sessions or like how many fantasy books exist that are based off of people's D and D sessions. Oh yeah, dude. They're like, they're yeah. Like, oh, this would be a really good book if it was like. I, you know, I could tailor some elements, but all together, though, like... Paul, if you good. read The Magician, it's, like, four books for the first, like, series called the Rift War Saga, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two books stand really well, and they're like, wow, this is, like, good writing. I really like the way the guy writes. And then mm-hmm. you get to, like, book three and four, and his writing's still good, but you can tell it is, like, straight up his campaign with his friends. Like, there's, <laughs> there's like, so much shit where I'm like... 
that that sounds something like Bryant would do, or like <laughs> this would only happen in a fucking D and D session. Oh like it's so fucking funny. You're so like, like no, I stopped reading. He has like other series in the same world that like take place at later times or whatever, and I was just like, no, nah, I can't do it, man. It's just like. It's too much like reading D and D sessions. Like, like no, no reasonable author, or like no reasonable human would ever react like this in any situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless it was a D and D session, or just like <laughs> this wild shit happens, and I'm just like crazy concocted schemes, and I'm like, God damn so it! I like catch, this is, a, yeah. I tie the rope to the gnome's ankle, and then I fire my arrow like with the gnome <laughs> attached. And then like, oh yeah, and then I command my eagle to catch the arrow mid-flight. Bart, so now, to like, <laughs> so now we have this gnome who's flying around. And you're like, road. and you're reading it, and you're like, it was weird when he wrote, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love his writing style. Oh yeah, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens. Yeah, there's that one, was just a weird sentence to read in general. Like. There's one specific character called Jimmy the Hand, and he's always just like never God. supposed to be there, and he's that always is, he's like oh a thief God. who's like was eg- not exiled but like kind of left to die basically and then it turns out he's like the thieves guild like uh, son, the th- son of the guy who runs the thieves guild the great fox yeah and then like he's always not where he's supposed to be but then he like comes into royalty and all these things but he's like he's just the char- he always has like these quips that like just piss people off and stuff and i'm just like god damn it you're like every thief character i've ever played with God, like, plus it's like a name like Jimmy the Hand is Jimmy like a such hand. a deal. That's like man. I had a character named Bricktooth Johnny. Like, <laughs> like, oh, like it's almost the equivalent like name. Like it's a fucking it's like that's equal but, that, in every way. Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Just and he's fucking, like one of the main oh characters. God. He's like not the main bloodline royalty Jimmy kind of thing, hand. but like he's always there and he's oh always God. doing things. That's fucking, and like, yeah. like only Jimmy the Hand could do it because he has the highest skill to do so kind of thing. And I'm like, somebody was making rolls at this point. Like whenever they make those decisions, I'm like, somebody was making a roll. He had to roll for this. Yeah. but That's pretty funny. God, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. But, but I mean, that was, I guess that was a nice little recap of like, you know, our, our previous, cause yeah. you know, we, we took a break off. So, um, Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, so our break off, a week off. (laughs) Fuck. We took a break for a week. Um, We broke it off. We broke it off. (laughs) This is the last episode. (laughs) So it was, like, a nice little recap and stuff. Plus, it's good, you know, it's kind of cool to hear, like, you know, how how, I'm pretty sure later on we'll touch on tabletop again. Yeah. You know? When I get better at it. We could just do, like, a over, because, you know, I'll be be moving relatively soon-ish. Maybe we should just do, like, an over- the phone conversation meta podcast D and D thing, you know, and then like we a, can like a session, like a session, yeah. That'd like be that. cool. That'd be kind of cool. That would be sweet. We'd all get better, and we. I I always want to do more tabletops. So. Yeah, I definitely want to. I just like I'm with a bunch of people who don't tabletop. Like yeah, it's like who like trying we to explain pl- like how cool it is, and they're yeah. like, okay, okay. For well, just for example, we, we actually had that moment last night because. One of the one of the people in the in the group was like, I don't understand what's going. Like she was just totally like not on board with like everyone being in a tavern. She didn't like she didn't immerse herself well enough, and so I was like, fuck, I failed like already. And then she kind of like got into it when she, I, I had to set the scene more. Right, but it, it was like I had already failed <laughs> like right off the bat. Yeah, it's like, fuck. It's like you need to do something that interacts with her character directly, so she's on the spot and has to like be like, oh fuck, like what do I do? Exactly. 
So that's when she did her sense motive role. Because she was like, I don't really trust these guys. And I was like, what skill do you have? Sense motive. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Sense their motive. And then she's like, I fucking get it. And it was great. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That was a good time. Yeah, so well, that's cool. But yeah, I guess we, we do have... Oh, wait, sorry, Glenn. We totally cut you off as well, too. You're no, I'm fucking... Example. Oh, I was telling you about the... Yeah, the the people that I'm around, and they just, like, don't tabletop or whatever. And I was like, prime example happened this weekend. If y'all remember our board game episode, this fucking happens all the time. We were playing Ticket to Ride. No. <laughs> so me, Alicia, and her cousin are playing Ticket to Ride, which is fine because, like... It's a casual game, whatever, just trying it's to have a fun. fun. Game. Yeah. And it's the only game she has because her um, Alicia's aunt just like bought it for her, or cousin just bought it for her, or whatever. Sure. Okay, yeah. And so we're playing, and her roommate comes in, who we don't have like very much of a relationship yet. They just moved in, kind of thing. And she goes, Oh, what is this? Settlers of Catan? And I'm like, <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> You're like, this is trains. There's trains. And a map of the United States. Yeah, so like, I just, I didn't say anything. I like, but in my mind, I just lost it. I was like, this is exactly what I was talking about. You'll never take Mechatol Rex. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, we should get to our episode, though. Yeah, um, actually, yeah, this is, um... It's been a long intro. Yeah, it has been a long intro, so thank Welcome you for, back. Welcome, welcome back, back. We've been hold, We've been holding up pent-up conversation for, like, a week now, so... Yeah, it's been, like, I've just been... Like, like a really very large... Chomping at the bit. God. Um, yeah, so this uh, episode, it's a, a throwback. This is a, um, well, anyone who's listened to me ever ramble about video games outside of uh, this podcast. outside of this podcast, just in general, have yeah. heard me talk about this series, which is something that's like, and we're only going to talk about the first one in yes. the series today, but um, this series for me is something that's really close and dear to me, and not a lot of people have played it either, or like... It's even it seems it, like a, yeah it yeah, seems like an underground title like it was old enough where there were a lot of other series that existed at the time right. that this one just kind of like was glossed over exactly yeah um, for me aged really well especially like progressively through the series and whatnot but uh, the series is called Sakodin. Um it is a JRPG. Uh, all installments of it are is just JRPG and it originally came out I believe on Sega Saturn. Oh um, in like 1995 or 1996, and then probably the most common distributed form of it is the uh, PlayStation version of yep. it, which I think came out in 96, off the top of my head. I think it's 96. I think it was 96 because I remember saying, 1996! Like a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> we <were playing. laughs> um, yeah, but the entire series as a whole, uh, phenomenal. I think, you know, for me, there's uh, a lot of great games with great stories, uh, Sakodan 1 definitely has, like, a pretty good story. Yeah. Um, the sequel to it, the second one, is, for me, I consider it the best story told in a game, which is for, like, it's, like, it, there's just nothing that stands equivalent to it. But, uh, that's a different topic for a different day. Sakodan 1, um, amazing game altogether in terms of, like I said, it's a JRPG, turn-based combat, um very uh you know character driven in terms of like character mm-hmm. development uh plot all together is like pretty solid you know but it's nothing like exceptional in terms of like yeah it's not like groundbreaking in any way exactly but it 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 felt like it was trying to innovate both in like a storytelling in video games and like 
mechanics of JRPGs in a lot of ways. It was trying to do a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that either didn't work or it did work depending on yeah how you roll the dice. There was <laughs> there was a, a lot of times when when playing Sakodan One where like you you take it with a grain of salt where like you realize and understand that like the developers were trying to do something. And, like, perhaps it was just, like, you know, part of it is, like, a lack of just, like, not having the experience of, like, making games, like, beforehand, plus also just, like, limitations of the technology at the time. Yeah, Yeah, just hardware. Uh, But altogether, though, it's, I think it stands a pretty good test of time in terms of being able to play a a pretty wholesome JRPG. Yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of things in it that are unique that still still exist in the installments of the game today, um, like most recent installments of it, uh, that I haven't seen in other JRPGs ever. Like, you know, I've seen similar concepts, but nothing quite as unique right, into it. Right. And I, I, you know, I think about things like equipment and, uh, like, their magic system. Um, and we, like, just learned that there was what was it like combined spells like yeah like combo spells like at the very end of the game we're like what the fuck this is a thing like how did we never and this is and this is not like the first time you all played this either paul this is like at least number three the right? umpteenth time yeah i played like yeah. i played sakodan one like a handful of times yeah. i would say like over five and I it took you C- over five times and toward the end of your gameplay of over five times to figure out like this one you know cool thing that exists mm-hmm. in the game yeah. which is pretty yeah. cool it's so, probably you were doing it just on accident like a lot of the times and we're like whoa that was a powerful spell how <laughs> the, fuck? the fuck and then i like looked it up i was like what the fuck yeah it's just like it's fucking astounding to me like when i play it and i think about when this game came out i'm like there was not a lot of because you think about 1996 like there wasn't a ton of I mean, there were there were a lot of RPGs that existed mm-hmm. um, in that era and whatnot, but I think a lot of the systems they introduced in that game were very unprecedented in other RPGs. Like, I mean, a lot of RPGs kind of had the standard sort of like, oh, you have equipment, right? This game did have equipment. Like, you know, I, that's nothing it's new or whatever. Standard, yeah, yeah, it's pretty standard. Um, but I think just so many tones that they set with the game, because I felt at the time a lot of RPGs were very uh, plot driven where um, you have like, you know, you kind of get like a cast of characters who are pretty like straightforward for the most part. There's not a lot of intricacy. It's like, oh, you have the guy who's the fighter and he's the burly, always takes life by the horns kind of thing. Right. Like. He doesn't need a plan. He just needs a, a front door to kick in. Wears then, no shirt and a headband. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, And then you have the thief who's always slippery and sly and probably and has, has a ulterior. bandana. Yeah. <laughs> has ulterior... Mo- like, you know, just and like... leather gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Plus five to lockpicking. But it's like the standard fucking uh, cast of characters for the most part. And then very much like... Sakodin was like one of the first games, at least in my youth, that, that I played that mm-hmm. was very character driven oh yeah like it was just the well one first off that i haven't seen in the game replicated since is that the game has 108 recruitable characters yes that you can all play like putting your team and whatnot and My favorite antonio <laughs> antonio the chef um and it's like you get like roughly like a third of them just by playing the main story of the game right and then some of them are like time gate not time gated but they're plot uh, event gated where like 
yeah, yeah. If you progress too far, and like you potentially could just not recruit that character at all, right. um, because like you miss the event in which like they could be recruited. Um, I don't think that's as prevalent in Sakoden One as it is in future games and installments of the series, but. Uh, just the fact that there were so many recruitable characters, you're like, what the fuck? It really made the world seem full. Because it was like, every place you go, there's all these people who not only have a specific, like, character-drawn, like, painting. Portrait. Yeah, portrait for when you're speaking to them. But also, like, they, their sprite work was different, and they, all, they, like, had a personality. And so whenever you'd go to a different town, you'd meet all these different people, and you'd be like... I mean, it was obvious when they have a portrait and you're like, you're going to be fucking in my party soon. <laughs> it's just really good at doing that, though. Mm. It was like giving character to seemingly NPCs. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when, like, you consider that, you know, a third of them, like, you get through the main story, which means, like, at some point they play a role in the story um, that f- progresses the game. But then there's, at some point, you know, like, you still have to get, like, six, let's say, 66 characters or whatever, just by doing other events or, like, going to other places, like, that Mm -hmm. isn't part of the main story. And to go there and to, like, get a slice of characters or whatever, that's just, like, it doesn't, you know, progress the story any further, but as you said, it makes the world feel more full. Like, there's more personality and (laughs) character to, to, to what's happening because you see how, like, the entire plot of the game takes place over, like, a, um, kind of like a revolutionary war that's happening, like yeah. a rebellion against the Empire. Um, but the entire time, like, you don't just see, like, this one side of it. Like, because you're interacting with other characters and, like, who all come from different places, like, you get to see sort of, like, this wide-scale impact of, like, oh, yeah, here's how this rebellion's impacting, like, this person as well, oh, yeah. you know, even though... I never would have known that if I had never, like, talked to them kind of thing or had them in my party. It was great because it was... The game was very good at taking it from the micro level to, like, a specific person to also how it's affecting each settlement. Like, I don't remember... I think it was Final Fantasy II. uh, Near the end of the game, the final, like, boss destroys the cities and you can't actually, like, go into them. And so, like... The equivalent in Sakodin is, like, you go into a city in the north and it's, like, already been, like, fucking destroyed by just, like, a army trampling through mm. it. Kaleka. Yeah. So it's, like, that whole... That that city alone is, like, such a cool part of the game because it's... The pacing in it is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, like, not even slow, but it just felt... It was such a, like, key moment in that game for me when I was, like, oh... Like, th- this is the this is how this village was affected. It's also, like, I think, you know, and I, I talk about this in a lot of my, uh, I feel like whenever we talk about story in any of our podcast episodes, like, one of the things that I really appreciate is, like, that kind of, like, narration between the lines. Like, that reading between the lines mm-hmm. that, like, a player has to do to sort of put together the entire picture. Right. And it's, like, the little attention to detail that is done by like developers that like makes it feel much more either real or believable or, or whatever. Um, and I remember like in that given example where like we go to this town or whatever that like we know historically like you know you never see this town and like how it used to look or whatever. But like all you know is that some terrible shit happened there, and that's kind of you sort of just draw on that from like 
people telling stories like in your like just little bits of dialogue throughout it where oh, like that's Kaleka. Yeah, like like Humphrey or whatever for Yo Yo Humphrey dog. Yeah, like Humphrey or whatever, the super quiet guy, uh like he talks about like the only time he ever killed like an ally or something like that was at like the Battle of Kaleka yeah. or whatever. And like Oh, you just get this impression that Kaleka was this very, like, gruesome... Yeah, like, turning point. ...questionable battle that happened. Like, probably, like, it was... Like, more a massacre than actually, like, a exactly. two-sided fight. Like, it was trying to either create some type, like, rile up people for, like, uh, a war or something similar where, like, innocents were killed, but it yeah. was, like, you were kind of ordered by the, like, your commanding officer to, like kill these people yeah you know even though you're like they're just simple farmers trying to like survive like you know like what the fuck um but you like you go to Kaleka or whatever and like you just like walk through the ruins of it to get like past it you have to go through it to get like to this secret weapons like manufacturing facility um and like as you go through the tavern there's like this guy who's just like in the corner like drinking soup or some shit like that and you just like (laughs) go and talk to him and he's like what do you want and you're like what are you doing here and he's like he's like me like i'm the last living resident of Kaleka. like this is my home and i'm staying here you know and you're just like and that's all that guy existed for like yeah there was no one else in that t- town and like uh, it was just total ruins and yeah. you just have this one guy who's like eating at the like the tavern not recruitable not recruitable doesn't have character portraits so you know he's not important <laughs> But it's, like, those little just attention to details where, like, it makes that place feel all the more alive that, like, you know, you kind of see, like, you get an idea for the way of life there. Like, you know, people were, like, probably, you know, more stubborn farmer folk, right? But does that mean they were, like, like, was it okay then for, like, you know, it, it just... Yeah. You then know it's a massacre, and you're like, sure, maybe they're stubborn farmer folk, but that doesn't mean they, like, should be massacred. Yeah, or when it leaves like, a lot of, like, open-ended questions that have no answers, because, frankly, they didn't write them, and it's like, they didn't need to. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there you go. You just have a big question mark that's like, this place is very significant. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, and then on top of it, there is one guy you can recruit there, and he's, like, planting flowers, remember? Well, there's two, because there's... The, oh, yeah, there's also Leon as well. Leon. But there's, um, yeah, this guy who's just, like, planting flowers, who's, like, yep, like... And to recruit him, you have to, like, not trample his flowers, like, because... And it's, like, such a bait, too, because, like, he's standing at the top of the screen, and then, like, there's flowers, and you come from, like, you know, bottom of the screen or whatever, so, like, naturally, you just, like, walk over the flower patch, like, as, like, a rpg or whatever just like playing a game breath um, of the wild the oh yeah there's a oh, shrine yeah. with the flowers yeah yeah Fuck. do you Holy think that shit. was a throw you think that was probably a throwback or something to sakoden i doubt <laughs> it maybe i don't think maybe. he freaks out if you do it I you think. don't freak but he's just like he's just like you trampled my flowers and like that's all he says and you like that's the only Can't dialogue right yeah but it's like if you walk around like the flower patch and talk to him he, like, talks about how he's, like, trying to give life back to this dead place and stuff. But then, like, you kind of convince him, like, to, like, point flowers at your castle kind of deal and stuff. And yeah, he's, make, like, make my castle pretty. Yeah, make my castle pretty. But, yeah, it's just, like, really cool small things, like, to detail. And it's, like, you have this guy who, like, a farmer now on your team who, like, plants flowers in at your castle. And he can fight. And he can fight. <laughs> Um, can you have the bo- bellboy, the like, yeah, you can doorman in your party. Yeah. In, in could you have like the worst feasible party? Totally. In Sakodan, does one, it include like, Antonio? 
Yeah. It's like all the chefs. Antonio and uh, who's the other? Lester. Yeah. And just get the lady from the inn. Marie. That is not an <laughs> just okay fuck name. yourself over. Uh, it's like ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it was just re- a lot of that game. Yeah, there's, there's a ton of things in Sakodan One where the characters like you can literally put any character in your party, and in Sakodan Two, they like kind of change that where they're it. like, there's some characters who you can't put in your fighting party, like your innkeeper and like your weaponsmith and. And you're like, damn it, come on, Antonio's my boy. Yeah, my chef. (laughs) Moose. (laughs) Frypan OP. God, yeah, that's the name of his weapon, too. No, it's not. It actually is. When you level up the chefs, because... It was like Frypan... Yeah, it was great. It was one of those good equipment choices in the game, where instead of equipping different weapons... Each character has their own specific weapon throughout the game that gains level when you pay for it to be upgraded. Yeah. The chef's was like, frying pan, wok. <laughs> like, when you upgrade it, it becomes, like, a better frying pan. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. Cast it doesn't become a better skillet. weapon. It yeah, just becomes a better, better frying pan. pan. No, that's also one thing that I really like about that game in general. is Because I think... Like I said, a lot of it goes into the character development of it and the character building and the fact that, like, you have this weapon that is, like, an identity of the character. Oh, yeah. Where it's, like, you're not just replacing. You're, like, oh, here's a better bow staff for my fucking leader or whatever. It's, like, you just keep upgrading his weapon when, like... And that's kind of, like, how it's sort of uh, paced throughout the game. Like, you get to newer, like, farther you get in the story, like blacksmiths can uh, temper your weapon higher to like higher levels and it costs more money Um, so much money so much money but that's kind of the cool part about it though is that you always stick with the same weapon it just gets better and it it. feels like it feels gamey at the same time as as you've explained it just now but I also like to think of it as they're improving the weapon but it's also like your the character is getting better at wielding this weapon Mm mhm as as a way of as you combating the gaminess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So No, totally. So you've talked about like definitely like the breathable character like living breathable characters kind of thing. Like that's definitely part of this game that's um enticing. And same with like the mm-hmm. story that you have to read into. But there were other JRPGs at the time that were also doing similar work to that. Um so what what sets the code in a like B- higher than the others like in what regard does Sakodin have as far as unique? like realistic written characters no n- not necessarily not even regarding the characters necessarily but like how is it different than other JRPGs at the time how did it innovate what is so good about Sakodin? Mm-hmm. okay so yeah I think also you know one of the big things like if you think of Final Fantasy for example like turn-based combat is like it can be a fucking bore sometimes because you're just like waiting for like your meter to fill up which then, like, you can then choose an action and then you attack the enemy and they have, like, are programmed with their own respective meters. In Sakodin, uh, you have six players on your party, which one is already, like, a lot. Um, but the combat itself is way more fluid for a turn base because you have things such as, like, you input, like, you know, you can do it where you input, like, what each character does and then it kind of just goes into an auto-execution where, like, you know, the turn order is determined and everything of the sort. Like, it executes out the entire turn. Enemies also attack as well in between there. And then, like, it goes into the next of, like, you issue the next set of commands. Um, And also the way that, like, 
it flows is much more fluid too. So let's say you have like character A hitting monster A. Um, and then after character A, let's say monster B goes. And let's say monster B is going to attack monster C or like character B. <laughs> Its um, own monster. Yeah. Let's say monster B is going to attack character B, right? So character A goes. It's not though, it's not as static where it's like, oh, character A has to make his yeah, move. Like a and then B. And then B. It's like A and B will go at the same time. It's like character A goes, attacks monster B at the same time monster B is now attacking character B. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the turns execute, just the combat itself feels way more fluid. And when you get more comfortable with the controls of it, like you can get pretty fast with combat to the point that like it's not as turn-based or like not not turn-based, it's still turn-based, but it's not as clunky. It doesn't feel as clunky yeah. as compared to other turn-based games. It gives it a really good pace of every fight, even... Even the fights, even the boss fights feel, uh, what's the word for it? It's, because I'm trying to imagine the, the, like, last boss was, like, three different targets, mm-hmm. but it was 6v3, technically, but it's, like, their turn order was different. It was just, I don't fucking know. It was really good. Mm-hmm. It, well, one, like, it feels more fluid. Was it just pace? I think it was pace, but also you had things like uh, the function of, like, auto-fight was a thing, you know, where, like, you can just tell your characters to, like, auto-execute uh, their abilities kind of thing. So it just it just does auto-combat for you. Um, a doggy? A doggy? <laughs> Do you hear her? <laughs> My bad. She okay. was whining, so I had to let her in. It's okay. She's a good doggy. Good doggy. Um, yeah, so, like, the fact that you had, like, auto-combat, where, like, it just pretty much has all your characters attack, and you, like, you press auto, and, like, within less than five seconds, like, every person has made their attack, and, like, monsters have gone, and then it's back to your turn again. Like, back to issuing commands. Yeah. So combat could feel really fast, um, and, you know, there was also, like, in addition to fighting and, like, you know, auto-combat, you also had, like, the obvious runaway options, but... One thing that's cool in Sakodin is there's like a distinguishing, and I think this is a cool flavor yeah. part too, where it's like you can run away, but if you become more powerful than the monsters you're fighting, it stops. The issue or the command is no longer run away, it's now let go because it's like you're now letting, like the monsters are trying to run away from you, and so yeah. like you choose to let them go. Yeah versus like you running away you're from never them. trying to flee from like a level one goblin yeah that kind of shit and then in level addition three ratata too strong yeah <laughs> run away and then in addition to that there was also like the bribe feature which yeah. is like if there was a monster that you couldn't run away from and it was just too much like you could just bribe it like and it usually cost a decent amount of money yeah. but like you could it was a 100 percent like you are going to run away money money talks dude and especially when it comes to the roll of the dice in that game holy shit but yeah before i get so into you, like so you've mentioned roll of the dice do you want to, <laughs> damn do you want to talk about yeah i do i fucking do god okay so, so what, what is the dice game so sakodan has a, a series a multiple series or multiple mini games in it yes you know there's like the fucking like oh three cups guess which cup the or which coin coins under which cup kind of thing you know or yep. like match the card pairs that are turned face down you know like in like memorization game uh then there's chinchoirin and chinchoirin is like the best fucking mini game 
and the number one way to make money in that game. It's really good. Because <laughs> it's like, the premise of the game is like, you have a, a bowl that you roll three dice into, and like, you kind of have just like an indicator that spans over like the, um, it doesn't, di- the diameter, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Shit. <laughs> yeah, but it spans over the diameter of the bowl, like, and you get to choose when to release the dice. You roll three, uh, dice into this bowl, and depending on the results, like, determines, like how much you make off of it so there's like you bet you like you originally have like a buy-in and you know why the fuck would you not bet the maximum amount of like you could start with which is like 9900 well could you like restart and then start again kind of like restart the game and then you'd have the same amount of money left yeah if you fucked up yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah, there was a lot of uh, but so in Sakodan one, it's just fucking broken. Like you can get to max money so fast. You can do it in Chinchurin. eight minutes. Like yeah, we did it so fast because what no you do fucking yeah way. yes. So here's what happens. Like the game has three dice, and there's like the idea is you get three attempts to roll a score, and a score is determined by like if you roll two of the same you number. Get a pair. And then the other die is your score. Yeah, so it's like like you roll like a set of threes, and then your final dice is like a two. That means your score is a two. And yep. then the the uh, table, well, actually the the house rolls first, but like. So then, but then they have the turn is relinquished, and then you have to get a three or above. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and if you do, like, if you beat it, you win the prize pool. Yes. There's a few times one. Times one. There's a few exceptions of Chinchuiran, which there are a few <laughs> special rolls you can do. So if you roll triple of any number that is not a one, you get time. You automatically win. It's a storm. Yeah, it's a storm at times three <laughs> of the bet. If you roll a triple one, you automatically lose, and you pay times three of the original bet. And then if you roll a four, five, six, it's times two, you automatically win, and it's times two. Yep. And if you roll one, two, three, you automatically lose, and it's times two. Yes. So you're like, okay, like, there's special rules, whatever. Like, I don't see how you get to max money with this. Well, here's the thing, is that in Sakoda 1, you had the option to bet your winnings (laughs) again, like, as the new prize pool for another round. So it's like, if you win a times three, you go to, like, 27,000 it's like would you like to bet your winnings and you're like yes so now your bet's 27,000 and if you like win triple on that it then triples that amount and it just keeps like compounding so there's times where like we would roll and it's like it's like our current winnings is like (laughs) 400,000 and then it's like we fucking lose it all and it's like you have no money and we're like fuck reset reset and so we just keep like gambling because we're like and that shit would happen, like, we'd fucking lose Why not just like, stop and then just do, an, like, save and then do another bet of, like, 400000 or whatever? No, you can't. No, because you, gotta, you gotta, gotta get to max one go. in one go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all about that 9999999, baby. Yeah, it's just fucking great, because that game was so fucking... I, I remember, like, you know, I played Sakodin when I was in college, and, like, Jimmy had watched me play at the time, too, and, like, I think Glenn stopped in at one point, but... um as I progressively played it over the course of a few weeks, uh, like, the first two games at least, um, like, I remember afterwards, like, playing Chinchuiran in real life. (laughs) Yes. I definitely, I definitely participated in that one. Yeah. I I don't remember watching too much, but I remember you teaching me Chinchuiran and being like... But see, you gotta have the... 
it's not just about the dice game. It's it's about the the attitude you have towards the loser or whoever is opposed to you. If they fucking roll like three ones, you're like, oh fucking scrub, what a <laughs> what a dumbass. <laughs> and like, if you don't do that, you will lose. <laughs> it's like that. Oh, also, if you roll and one of the dice rolls out of the bowl, oh, that's yeah, called a loss. that's a piss, and it's an auto a lose. At, yeah, it's an auto lose at times one. So is it like you get one roll and that's your that's like your roll, well, or do you, is it like a you Yahtzee could, thing where you can like pick up two and then roll them? Again? No, 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 no. You're always rolling the three dice. So if you get like a three, a four, and a six, that's not a score, and you have two more rolls to get a, a score. score. And if you don't roll any score in three attempts, that's also a loss. Well, it's not a loss because it could be a draw. Because if you don't roll a score, oh, you're right. Then it just you know, re- goes. Your back opponent to it. gets a chance and rolls three times. If they roll no score, then it's just a draw, right. and no and one wins. Restarts. Yeah. Thank God. What if they roll? Happens. And if they roll a loss, then you win. Yes. Yes. So you oh. could still win even if you don't roll a score. Which is what happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> We won a lot of our money on the the house, like, rolling bad rolls. Just getting like, pisses, like, in a row, and then... Just like, rolling out of the three bowl. Three storms, and we're yeah, like, like, fuck yeah. Like, they roll, like, rolls, like, triple ones. It's like, would you like to bet your winnings? You're like, yes. And then they roll, like, one, two, three, and it's, like, times two of that. And you're like, would you like to bet your winnings? You're, you're like, like yes. yes. And then they roll, like, triple ones again. You're like, yeah, bet them again. And then they roll, like three fours and you have to pay triple of that amount you're like oh i don't have anything i guess i'm broke now <laughs> and he, he it's so great the like flavor text for when you lose is like something along the lines of like you you don't have any money get out of here yeah <laughs> why are you at this <laughs> what table are you with doing me right it's so good yeah it's fucking great like that the, the like the fact that mini games existed in that game it's was like awesome i absolutely love that um not that like world building just phenomenal tactic that it was like look these games that don't exist in real life are here in this well world. that's also another cool thing about sakodan that i love is that each game kind of has the cent or this like this theme that happens where like you become the leader of some revolution or mm-hmm. like rebellion or movement whatever and you have to have a base of operations and usually it's like from some like dilapidated like ruined castle right and then as you like progress throughout the game and get more people it's usually determined by like how many people you've recruited like your castle will start to improve and get better and it's like you know it starts filling up with the people you recruit and so what started as like this kind of empty ruins becomes this very like your center base of operation but like in addition to like you know progressing like you know story events in it or whatever you also get to like explore it and see like talk to all these people like you've recruited and like you know once you recruit the innkeeper you now have an inn in your castle you can use like once you recruit blacksmiths you now can upgrade your own weapons in your own castle uh same with like shops as well like gambling things you can talk to people who change like you know the music around or whatever so you get a lot of cool like you get to see that also actively change as you like recruit mm-hmm. people which also makes the game feel more complete and full because it isn't like you just recruit someone and like you know they're like oh, okay they're somewhere now i guess i just go talk to the pc add like this pokemon into my party kind of thing yeah, right? right it's just like some the ambiguous void. void yeah that they exist in no it's like they have a place and setting in your castle yeah and you know it's very possible to get to the end of the game and have not recruited like all the people and like not have your castle totally finished as a result because like you know maybe a section that 
was meant for like some thing or whatever like they just never you never got them so yeah. like they never fixed it up or you anything. don't have all the ninjas so there's no reason for them to hang out on the roof yeah exactly <laughs> so i remember when you uh we've talked about um like home planets or home worlds or home bases or whatever in a bunch of other games and how like generally they're not done well is this one of the rare instances in which a home base is done well I think yes for two reasons. Uh, it's not quite the same as like a hub world. A hub world, I feel like it is a place you visit often, um, but it's like usually it's like part of the story kind of thing. But you because it, it, I think it's more fitting for the context of the game is what it comes down to. So like I guess if we take another example like uh, uh, Skyward Sword. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of times where it's like, you got to go back to Skyloft, and it's like, well, why do I have to go to Skyloft? Like, why don't I just go to the place I have to go to kind right. of thing, right? But it, I think in the context of, like, this is, you are now participating in a war, it's like, okay, we went, we did this thing, we now need to, like, go strategize. and, like, debrief and right. strategize at our, like, at our castle kind of thing. Right. And so, like, before we make our next move. And so, I think... It partially like in the context of a hub world, I think it does do that position well because right. it makes a lot more sense in what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't feel restricting at all, and like you know, it does, I think, satisfy a lot of the similar like um requirements not requirements, but it satisfies a lot of similar attributes of a hub world, Criteria, yeah. but it does it so convincingly that you don't think of it a hub mm-hmm. world. I was going to say, it, it does a good job of not being static, where, yes, it is like a very similar layout for most of the game, but like Skyloft, as far as, like, yes, you can explore it later on when you have the, you know, different items to achieve like like access certain areas the like last area in it but for the rest of the game before that it was always just the same amount of area that you were exploring and whereas whenever you recruit new new characters and are expanding your castle it's just so much more well done Mm -hmm. at being a again it's it feels more real and like vibrant and alive yeah because of the people in it there's a lot of, and as I said, there's a lot of, like, small attentions to detail that uh, the game does overall. And, like, one of the things is, you know, at one point during the game, uh, at one point during the game, you're, like, you try, someone tries to, like, uh, assassinate you, pretty much. And you have to fight off this, like, assassin. And then after that, like your strategist your like main strategist is like okay like you know we're we're pretty slack now like we need to increase security and so you notice there's like more people who are kind of like posted outside your room and whatnot like watching standing guard um and so you also have events like that that happen so it isn't even though like those are triggered by like you know certain areas of the plot you like or when you achieve like certain like plot points or something Mm -hmm. like that um you still feel like there's this dynamic aspect happening yeah, yeah, yeah. where like it isn't always the same cut every single time you go back it ain't the same cut of meat like it uh it always is evolving and changing and, like, like, you don't what yeah <laughs> you don't know what might happen next and like that's the only time like someone tries to assassinate you too right but like the fact that it happened now you're always like shit dude like i guess i am becoming a significant figure right in this entire like war now that like people are trying to assassinate me 
Yeah. It's a good it's a good setting. Mm. But it is a hub world. It's funny that it uh, it it kind of is able to be that while not being contrived. Mm. And uh, Well, it's yeah, it sounds like a big part of that is just having like that attention to detail point I think is probably the most important bit because you said that these char- like it's surprising to me how many of these characters that you can name. It's surprising to me that like that there's 108 playable characters and you can be like, yeah, Antonio the cook and like here's all these things about uh, that, him. That's his actual name. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, but like, the fact that you can name specific characters when there's 108 characters to pick between, not just some of the characters, like you can remember exactly how you recruited them, exactly this and this. Mm-hmm. And so, if they're not, if they don't have a lot of storyline, which is what something that you had mentioned before, like. I, it's it's surprising to me that they can encapsulate or like in enrapture you in such a story when there's not a lot of detail and there's so many characters like how do they do that that's that's what's surprising to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's it's like i think that goes something into overall like outside like you know outside of Sakonin itself but um in terms of just like story writing I think it just goes to show, and we even talked about this too in the tabletop session, where it's like you don't need a ton of detail for something to feel alive and dynamic and like multi-layered or whatever. Like mm-hmm. all you need is just like the right setting and like the right things. Where it's like you look at it, like we bring up Antonio because we're like Antonio, you know, but like he hangs out like near the inn and whatnot and like he has a very dynamic model and stuff and like yeah. his personality is like you know he you talk to him you get like two lines of dialogue he's but a big chef boy rd type of guy yeah but like he's just like you get so much from it just out of like such small amounts of detail that like you as the player can fill in so many of the gaps of like who this character is mm-hmm. and then on top of it like you know you go through the process of actually recruiting them and everything of the sort like you get this i like you know that like antonio hangs out with marie your in owner like innkeeper a lot and like when you get marie on your team like you know she, you knew her from like back in like the capital city when right. you weren't part of the revolution and then like later on like she's in this different city and she's like oh like you're part of this now well hey like i'll come out i'll come and be like an innkeeper at your place if you need one you're like sure and then like you go back to that inn later and you talk to Antonio and he's like, oh, you're the guy Marie, like, went and joined with? Like, sure, yeah, I'll totally go. If, like, Marie went, like, like, it has to, it has to, yeah, it can't be that bad. And then you're like, cool, like, I now know something about this connection between, like, Marie and Antonio based upon, like, that one line of dialogue, which then, like, allows me to fill out so much of, like, the personality of Antonio because I'm like, oh, it's this guy who, like, you know, he loves to cook or whatever, but, like, at the same time, he, like, does a lot of, uh, I'm trying to think of it, like, by association, like, he's very comfortable with that kind of thing. Like, he's not a very, like, with, uh, withholding or whatever, like, I'm trying to think of the word, where it's, like, that kind of thing of, like, guilty until proven innocent kind of thing. Like, for him, he was like, oh, well, if this person trusted you, like... I, like you're probably a pretty good guy then, so like I don't, I don't have any quarrel right. like because you're there. technically a fugitive, yeah, from the empire. Mm. I gotcha. Right, and so it's just like you you fill something out about Antonio, and like that's you know in terms of like he doesn't play any other significant part of the story, but we still have so many fond memories of him. I know, you know? he's such a he's he's our guy. Mm-hmm. 
He's our boy. He's our boy RD. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. W- you did mention that like his sprite model was very original and like unique. Mm. And I think that's one of the main things that really made me attached to Sakoden is the sprite work and little emotive things that they do, like flipping coins, drinking soup and hugging and kissing and stuff like that in that game is the such small details that are really well done, especially in 1996. Mm-hmm. They were, I was so impressed with how much emotion was given to these like 64 bit characters or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I was continually like more and more impressed each time something else happened and like stallion runs up and then like, uh, Kirkus's like, wife to be or whatever like runs after him and like like anime hugs him and shit like that i don't know it was just like such a good style of sprite work i i I totally attached to those things and just like completely fall in love with that kind of thing Mm. i think also as well like when you consider the fact like it was 1996 and they were able to it really showed how much they're able to make work with like what little assets or like technology hardware existed at the time too. Right. Like I remember one point, like near the start of the game, you're like, Oh wow. Like I really like the fire, like in the fireplace or whatever, like the way it looks Mm. kind of thing. And like, it was just alternating between like two sprites, but like the way that it was done, like it just made it look like this roaring fire that was going on. And like, it was just, I, it was like the simplistic, you know, solution and model or whatever, but it worked so well in terms of it. And yeah, like Sakodin does an amazing job of like utilizing the like movements and whatnot. And which is something as well, like in other RPGs, I don't really find like, you know, you don't see a lot of, uh, RPGs that utilize like their sprites in terms of like them actually doing something. It's always like, they're just standing there and then there's a text box of like what they're saying. And like, maybe they're surprised, but you don't see that with their sprite. You just know that because in the text box, like they're saying surprising or things. Like, gasp. Or like, yeah, like <gasps> yeah. But in you know Sakodin, it's like the models might sometimes jump, or like they might have like a little like step back uh, or nudge or something. Yeah, or like a, maybe a little uh, like box with like an exclamation point or like a question mark will appear yeah. over them. So like you kind of already know something, but they do more with their sprites as well to also tell part of the story yeah so it's like it's addressing this like non-verbal aspect where you can kind of you do get some form of body language yeah to be able to understand what's going on and it's really like it's really great um there's also story things where it's like such an interesting thing where um, specifically the pawn versus TO duel mm-hmm. where there's this guy you get on your team, um, who like, he started the game with you. He like betrayed you at one point, And then later on, like you forgive him and like, he comes back and he's like, no, I, I realize I fucked up. Like I shouldn't have done that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So there's this moment where he has a duel with like this general and duels are actual, like actually based on stats, but you don't really know that. And right. so, you know how sometimes where you play a game and let's say you're fighting some boss you're like dude i think this guy's gonna kick my ass and then he totally kicks your ass and you're like but then the game just progresses like you were supposed to lose kind of thing right and so in our let's say in in another event uh the other example i would give for that is like let's say the dude totally kicks your ass and then it's game over and you're like oh 
I'm supposed to win. Right. Like, I'm not supposed to lose that. Like, I need to gear up or whatever. Uh, so Coden does both, where, like, this duel you have, um, if, like, Pawn isn't geared and leveled enough, like, he'll lose the, the duel and he permanently dies, which impacts, like, the the final ending of the game. Mm. Like, if you have all the characters recruited, you get a different ending. Uh, it's just, like, a small attention to detail change thing or whatever, but, uh, like, Pawn just permanently dies and the game goes on without Pawn. But then, like, at the same time, if he is geared enough, you can win the duel and, like, Pawn doesn't die, the game goes on, you can get the full ending if you have all the characters recruited. Mm -hmm. But, like, Pawn has to be alive for it. Yeah. So the fact that, like, something like that exists, too, where usually, like, games are pretty one-sided in how they want to happen. Exactly. And, like, at that point in the game, too, like, unless you have Pawn in your party, like, he's pretty under-leveled to, like, that story event. And so you have to make sure that, like, he's leveled enough and you have to take the time to do that, which isn't that hard in Sakodan. Also, another great fact is that, like, you can power level characters really fast. Super easy. Like, super easy. And catch them up to speed and everything. So not even, like, cheating-wise. It's just, like, go to an area where they have strong monsters. mm, Yeah, it's it's like... It doesn't even... It it never felt grindy. No, not at all. And that was, like, an amazing part of that game is that it was able to keep, like, a role-playing element to it but not be really grindy like you gotta i remember we got this dude on our team we're all like at this point in the game we're like all level 50 or some shit like that we get this guy crin on our team and we got him at like the start of the game like pretty fast like you know like not that far into the really yeah really really. and he's like level eight and we have to have him in our party for this mission and we're like what the fuck crin like you're level eight and then you, like, you have him in this one area where all the monsters are, like, level 50 with you. And in, like, four battles with random monsters, like, Kryn was, like, level 47, you know? <laughs> and it's just, like, that's how fast it is. And, like, combat goes pretty fast in that game, too. So, like, you can just level your guys. So if you, like, wanted to do put some guy on your team and have a team of chefs with Antonio and Lester <laughs> and, like, all that shit, like, you could fucking do it and get them leveled really fast, even if they're all, like, at level one or some shit. Get them that good frying pan. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you get that yeah. but it, you know I, I did mention too as well like there's duels that exist in the game and Sakodan has that kind of cool aspect of it too where it's like it isn't just turn-based combat like well I guess all of it's turn-based but you have like you know the it's variations the variations of, yeah of it. it's not just the six person versus monsters you also have that war rock paper scissors style and the duels are specifically like, just such a cool part of the game mm-hmm. and it like it's like a different terrain looking. It's the the options you have in that style yeah. are different. Even though they're also very similar, rock paper scissors. Right. It's like still it's a one v one, which then like it creates like a different atmosphere. You know, like so for example, when it's like it's pawn versus general Tio or whatever, like and it's done in the dual setting, like the way the cameras, as you said, play around and the terrain's different. Like it creates a totally different feel to yeah. what's happening versus if it was just like the general battle format. And it's, like, you only had Pawn on your team and then, like, Tio on right. the enemy side. But, like, it would have been a very different feel. So, yeah, like, totally. it also, like, not only do you have this 1v1 combat system, which is a variation, but it's also a very different, just, like, it creates different feels or, like, different story, a different story as well. It tells yeah. the story through a different lens. That's what yeah, I'm it's, what you, it's very good. 
What do you mean by the rock, paper, scissors in the war and duel style? Yeah, so styles. there's there's like warfare and duels where like in the duel you have three options and it's just a rock, paper, scissors where like you can attack, you can defend, and you can desperate attack. Right. And it's like attack. So if you defend, uh, defense beats desperate attack, desperate attack beats a normal attack, and an attack beats defend. Um... So based upon literal rock paper scissors, literal, yeah, it's literal rock paper scissors. But like, not complex. You have to uh, part of the game as well as like each turn of the duel. Like your opponent will say something, and that gives hint to what type of attack they're going to use. Mm-hmm. And so at this point in the game, like the fact I played it so much, I'm like, whatever. I'm just gonna look up what that means, like in the duel response. But then when you're playing and you don't have a guide to do that, like. You have to then, like, read what they said and being like, huh, are they going to do a desperate attack? And should I defend? Or are they just going to do a normal attack? And yeah. If I do a defense then in a normal attack, like, I'm going to lose. I have to go all out. Yeah, like, it's, it's shit like that. Like, it's usually pretty... What if you in- desperate attack a desperate attack? Uh, it's, it just trades evenly. But, a, oh, gotcha. like, a desperate attack will trade better versus a normal attack. Yeah. Like, both still do damage. Just one is a lot more damage. But, like, if you desperate attack against a defense, like, desperate attack does countered. no damage, and you get countered for the equivalent of a desperate attack. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, like, it's pretty... There's that shit. The warfare is a similar concept as well. Like, you can uh, you can attack with, like, certain squads of people um, in a charge fashion, or, like, you can use arrows, or you can use magic. It's, like, magic beats charge, charge beats arrows, arrows beat, beats magic. Yeah. And... Then there's, like, special abilities that exist, like, with other people you recruit. Ninjas. Yeah, like, ninjas can get information and can tell you, like, what your opponent's next move is going to be. Like, or you can have people who can make the enemy side turn traitor. Because I guess the equivalent is, like, you have your army size versus their army size, and you try to get their army to zero. Right. Um, And you're usually outmatched throughout most of the game because you're the, like, ragtag bunch. So it always feels like an underdog story. It's another good reason why we... Well, you always feel good, like, beating the Empire, because you're like, we're the underdogs, how dare you have... We have lower attack and everything, and you still suck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you have that, and, like I said, it's, like, lovable characters, different, like, you know, takes on, like, combat, and, like, how it executes said combat. Um, The art style in Sakodin is very particular as well. Like, Sakodin 1, it's very... Like, you can very much tell it's, like, a hardware plus, like, budget thing. Like... Some of the textures are just so like, bad. So bad, like, you know. But and you, you can always tell what things are, and there's never, like, there was never a moment in the game where I was like, this is so bad, I, I can't progress, because I don't know, like, Because my eyes are so uh, exactly, like, assaulted by this atrocity. Um, yeah, definitely, what I always say is, like, Sakodin 1 is good, and Sakodin 2 just, like, improves on everything in Sakodin 1. Uh, that's just... I don't know, that's kind of always how... Well, that's also, like, another cool thing about the story as well. I guess outside of the the game itself, like, uh, Sakodin 1 was never meant to be the the original uh, story. Right. Like, when the developers, like, had their studio and everything, and they worked with, like, Konami. I can't remember what the name of the studio was off the top of my head. I can't either. Yeah. Um, but... Sakodin, they wanted to make Sakodin 2 as, like, the original game. Like, that was their original idea for the story right. and, like, all these different systems. Um, and then, like, 
but before they did that, they kind of came together and were like, wait, what if we just fucking suck at making video games? Like, what if we're just fucking bad at it? And so they made Sakoden 1 as kind of this test run to Sakoden 2. And then, like, once they kind of, like, found, like, you know, worked out, like, kind of the fault, like, faults and flaws and whatnot, like, they made Sakoden 2. And, like, when you play Sakoden 2, you can just be like, wow, this game... It's got polish. It has got polish and a budget now. Like, yeah. And so, but altogether, though, still doing work with what they had was, like, amazing. And then on top of it, the fact that they were able to have, like, the world building of Sakoden 1 and the characters, like, and all that bit, some of that carry over to Sakoden 2 makes it feel, like, all the more fucking amazing right. as well. And, like, you can play both of those games exclusive of each other and get, like, the full story. Right. But you don't get that, like, kind of narration between the lines bit where, like, you get way more context into things that are happening in Sakoden 2 yeah. having played Sakoden 1. I think you phrased it the best a couple of times when you're, you've said that you never have to play Sakoden 1, but the, the experience of Sakoden 2 is enriched, like, that much more by having the knowledge of Sakoden 1. And that's why I'm always just like... I've never played it, and you've said it's worse, but I gotta. Yeah, <laughs> so it's I'm like, so glad we did. It's the kind of thing where, like, yeah, like I would say, Sakoden One is worse in almost every single way to Sakoden Two. <laughs> it's still a good game. It, it by no means is it like you know top notch. Right. Like, but in comparison, but in like you know, but Sakoden Two is like top notch, and like Sakoden One is just like it makes it possible. Like exactly. it wouldn't be all this. If you want to enjoy and appreciate all the things yeah. in Sakoden 2 if you didn't have Sakoden 1 for that reason. Makes it that much sweeter. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sweet. Well, I'm excited to have y'all play Sakoden 2 so we can come back together. Oh, God. When is that going to happen? Bring, You're well, moving away. It will fucking happen. We'll figure so, it out. We'll figure it out. We'll, um, yeah, we'll, figure it out. we'll stream yeah. it. <laughs> no, we'll probably play it before I go. Damn, that's gonna be a lot of playing. Yeah, dog. Yeah, dog. Be like, sorry, I can't DM tonight. Gotta play some code in two. God, I even did that too. I had like a a role playing group I when I was an RA, and yeah. I, I I think I said this too, where I literally based like the story, oh yeah, my campaign off of Sakoden two, <laughs> and everyone was like, "This is the craziest. Of, this story's so fucking good. Like, like, what the fuck?" And I'm like, mm -hmm. "Plagiarism." <laughs> Yeah. Everybody plagiarizes everybody. It's fantasy, like... Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, Paul, you were saying that Sakoden series is on, like, the PlayStation Store? Uh, the first... Okay, so... PS yeah, Plus or on whatever? On PlayStation Network, uh, the first three Sakodens are out. And what's cool about the Sakoden games is you can always do the thing where you, like, you, the Mass Effect, where you upload your previous game right. to the next game, which doesn't, you know... It's not required, but it's like it changes like some tiny details, like stuff you did in the prior game are now included. Um, characters like might do different things depending on what happened to them in the previous game. So the game feels like much more fluid and consistent. Um, you know, there's I think it goes up to Sakoden 5, and then there's like some offshoot like Sakoden games as well. Like there's a, a tactics game, which isn't Sakodin all that good. Sakoden Artifacts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the. The big thing, though, is, like, if anyone was interested in playing Sakoden, um, I would say definitely, like, I think 1 and 2, like, have to be played together in terms of, like, to get sort of the full experience. Right. Um, 3 
is not necessary, but it's a very nice, like, icing on the cake kind of thing. So it's like, one and two, I would say, like, if you're going to play one, you have to play two. But three is something you would pursue to play, like, to just have sort of, like, this nice real, like, capstone to it. And I would say that's, like, almost the perfect amount of Sakodin. Four wasn't all that good, in my opinion. Five I actually haven't played, but to my understanding is, like, considered like the second best or third oh, nice. best of the like all of the ones so far so Might pretty have to get good. around to that yeah so that's yeah that's for me um or for anyone interested playstation network you can play the first three sakodans off of it yeah that sounds awesome sweet deal all right so this has been the meted podcast thank you for listening this week um hopefully we'll get back on some normal schedule eventually yeah just a lot of transitions happening in this yeah time for oh my all gosh of us, we'll um, we'll all eventually sound different when we're all in different separate places recording yeah because right now it's just paul and me and glenn's all around alorado alorado <laughs> colorado all right he's in the rado Co- the in the rado, rado. it's gonna catch on i swear (laughs) um but yeah it's uh it's thank you for listening uh follow us on twitter and like us on facebook and uh listen to us on your favorite podcast app per usual and uh thanks for listening you've been meted bye bye